This episode of AVXL was recorded on September 7th, 2020. We're going to talk about a big pile of IFA news from Samsung, TCL, and more. Netflix, they've made a serious encoding upgrade. NVIDIA's got 3,000 GPUs. Who is building Samsung's QD OLED tech into next-gen TVs, new speakers from BMW and ELAC? JVC's got some slick new upgrades for projectors, buying new VHS tapes for your collection, and quite a bit more. Don't forget, ask at AVXL if you got a question for us. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And let me tell you, setting up Atmos height speakers means running a lot of freaking cable, <laughs> even if your ceilings aren't very high. <laughs> it's, it adds up with a quickness. I actually ran out. And I went to order more. Well, I thought I ran out, but then I, I found another 50-foot spool of uh, CAS 2 12-gauge monoprice cable, my kind of go-to that I've been using for a while. That still might not be enough, but it's close. It's incredibly close. Random side note, Best Buy, please list the gauge of the speaker wire uh, on your website. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Even Home Depot and Menards list the gauge of the speaker wire. I will say finding 12-gauge speaker wire anywhere other than uh, online is an incredible pain in the posterior. I have a spool in the storage unit that's probably... It was a 500-foot box, and I think I had two of them because <laughs> we were doing a job where it was a large layout. But Right. Yeah, no shortage of that wire. However, I did finally manage to break the Energy Take Classic speakers I've been trying to get away or get rid of out of my oh, storage man. unit, and they are now in my possession, ready for a new home. Oh. I almost have some uh, moving around room in my storage unit, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> That's a good thing. Oh. If I could just figure out where, because I, I pulled all of the old cable out of when we moved out of the house, right? Because I had to run, it was six feet down, 25 feet across, another six or 10 feet into that room because uh, our home theater stack was literally at the opposite end of the width of the house from where the screen and the speakers were. So I've, I've got a good 75 feet of cable somewhere. Right. <laughs> Possibly in Reno. We'll see how that goes. Uh, so far, Reno... Uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll talk about speakers in Reno and forest fires. Uh, if you notice, if Robert's voice seems a little rough, it's because he's been breathing ash, uh, forest <laughs> fire. It's horrible for the last week and a half. If you look at that wonderful zoom.earth website right now, you'll just see the whole West coast of the United States pretty much on fire. And unfortunately, a lot of our smoke is pretty much flying straight into the state of Nevada, giving them a nice taste of what's going on here yeah it's pretty nuts california setting all sorts of records on a daily basis this week and uh in terms of temperature and everyone please stay safe hydration yeah check on your pets check on your loved ones it's all you can really do and don't forget if you're traveling in california in the summer or in fire season which is getting longer and longer and practically a year-round event uh cal fire maps are incredibly useful because you might find out that if, say, you're flying to Reno to pick up the rest of your family's uh, household out of storage, you might find out that there's, you know, two or three fires in between you. And they change because it was funny because the first one started Sunday night. The second one started Monday night. And the third one started like a day or two after that. Now, at that point, I was just like, I give up. 
obviously California does not want me returning to the state. <laughs> oh, and we had a tiny earthquake the other day, which was pretty Aww. cool. I got to say, I do appreciate the small ones. And it was like, literally, I was less than two miles from the epicenter, which is rare. Oh, wow. It's like, usually it's not like right under my feet, but I'm also way grateful that it's a, a little shaker and not a... Not a huge The thump. little ones that release the tension are I'll nice. tell you, though, the whole city quieted down for a good 30 minutes after that little shake. <laughs> Suddenly, you just hear everything get nice and peaceful for a minute. Everyone's like, is that it? <laughs> okay. It's, I Even after 20 years in California, the whole building shaking thing was utterly disturbing to me. As long as I realize what it is, I'm cool with it. It's, I, 75% of the time, I just assume, oh, I'm feeling a little dizzy. I better sit down. It's like, oh, no, it's just the room moving. <laughs> <laughs> and had I not heard some sounds of things creaking, I would have just assumed once again, I'm sitting out in the heat for way too long. <laughs> I am armed with a garden hose and swim trunks today, though. So that is happening as soon as I'm done here. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. Well, let us move forward. Mandalorian yes. Season 2. On Disney Plus, October 30th. Also, Mulan will be free for all Disney Plus subscribers on December 4th. If you want to stream it now, a.k.a. quote, early access, it's quote, premiere access to Mulan for $29.99. That's it's cool. been highly amusing to watch that evolve. Well, we had some we had some, some folks in the audience were a little distressed that they would have to pay $30 for Mulan on top of their monthly fee. But Mulan will be free for everyone in December. Apparently... It was a big deal, according to Deadline.com, that Disney Plus has Mulan premiere access uh, on Fire TV because they had to figure out how to, uh, well, they had to negotiate payments being available for Disney Plus. I bring that up in part because there's always negotiations that need to be made, and there's still no HBO Max on my Roku TV. Get that done, HBO and Roku. Also, HBO, start streaming better. Just do a better job. Uh... 4K streams on Netflix should ramp up the quality faster and with fewer bits, which makes the whole cruel nature of HBO streaming quality even more brutal, I think. Is that, is that safe to say? <laughs> As have not myself personally experienced HBO Max's quality yet, uh, I will say that it is a regular occurrence to see Netflix go through their system and not only right. try to save themselves video bandwidth, but also they come up with great ideas in terms of video encoding. And then sometimes it's like a one size fits all for a general selection of their video. This time around, they're actually going through and doing it in a way where it will have not only an improved what they call an optimized ladder for as it climbs in resolution and they're doing right. it at lower bit rates and they're also going through finally and fully optimizing the video encodes for things like INP frames that can if done right dramatically decrease the needed bit rate for the similar quality that you would see uh, with something using the old system and they have a couple of metrics they mention in a really good article on the Netflix tech blog website which is where they usually dump all this kind of information one of the cool things in the article is the way they are actually comparing the quality of the new system versus the old system and forgive me for butchering this name but it's something I believe pronounced the point guard delta they're showing 50% gains on average over their fixed bitrate ladder, quote unquote, meaning on average, we need 50% less bitrate to achieve the same quality using this new optimized ladder. Changes to their 4K delivery system, they're going to reduce bitrate. 
It used to be about 16 megabit for their best streams, and that looks like the new high end will be about just under 12 megabit per second. That may discourage some people. It's like, hey, why not just use those extra bits I was streaming anyway and provide even better quality, at least according to this new computing system for determining the quality of the video itself. It seems unneeded. So for me, right. the best thing really is that those initial jumps when I first fire up my 4K stream, it'll look like 480p and then it gets a little bit better and then a little bit better. This will simply make it take that jump at least to 1080p almost instantaneously and then quickly there onwards and upwards to the full quality resolution. They also have a series of comparison images too on this article, which are really impressive. The clarity at lower bit rates appears mm -hmm. fantastic. And that's the thing. If it can deliver at least as good of quality at a lower bit rate, that's just a win-win. And for anyone interested in what they're up to and what they plan to do, do check that article out. The re-encoding for their HDR content will happen later this year. That has not been taken care of yet. Currently, it's just all of the original 4K content they were streaming has now gone through this new optimized ladder technology. Is <laughs> looking better than ever. And I, for one, am thankful. It will, uh, it will help you get a better looking picture quicker and hopefully save you some bandwidth in the process without any noticeable degradation in quality. If you're looking for some, some light technical reading, and I, I say light with my tongue firmly in my cheek, uh, cheek, chick, cheek, firmly in my cheek, this isn't a lewd podcast, netflixtechblog.com, which is where you're going to find optimized shot-based encodes for 4K now streaming and quite a bit more on the technologies that the crew at Netflix are employing to make your life more fabulous, at least while you're streaming. Heck yeah. Samsung displays, QD, OLED tech going to Panasonic and Sony, it sounds like. We, we discussed this briefly uh, earlier this year that uh, Samsung was not planning on employing their next-gen display technology for future TVs. Samsung Electronics. Samsung Electronics, not to be confused <laughs> with Samsung Display, who pulls the glass. Uh, quote, mass-produced QD OLED panels could start as early as the third quarter of 2021. Uh, you were doubting that we will see any kind of consumer options until 2022 at the earliest. Exactly. Uh, for me, I'm excited about two things. One, at least according to the quote-unquote bill of materials for creating one of these panels, it was suggesting that it would be about the third of a cost per square meter compared to the current white OLED technology used by LG and everyone else practically. That was number one. So this this could bring along uh, basically OLEDs putting the final nail into most LCD applications. There will always be LCD television. But the other thing, too, is that the thing I really appreciate about Samsung's quantum dot OLED technology is the fact that they are going with a blue material. The emissive material will be a blue color that comes, I assume, very, very close to what the blue point is for things like DCI and BT709 color palettes that are currently used in all the video we look at. If that natural color of the blue OLED material is already hitting it, then they simply have to do color conversions using that quantum dot material for red and green. And this eliminates that fourth subpixel that LG uses in their panels, the pure white subpixel. 
This could also enable even further performance improvements in terms of color and brightness. I'll be very curious to see if Sony and Panasonic deem it worthy enough to actually throw their name on and work with. I would think this is the next-gen OLED, and I personally cannot wait to actually see one in a consumer product. But like you said, if they're talking third quarter of next year, then it's likely not until at least... You could think of something maybe like CES 2022, where we will then see actual product on the floor. Well, maybe virtually, but we'll see. (laughs) It's good tech. It's the next gen. And the other big idea that they're going to promote with this is the fact that they can do it with an inkjet style printing technology rather than, you know, vapor deposition technologies that are more expensive to do and more difficult to have the defects Mm -hmm. be as low as possible. So win-win. Always a plus. Speaking of Samsung, uh, EVA 2020, Samsung premiered the first HDR10 Plus projector. That, of course, is the alternative to Dolby Vision, the idea that you have that scene-by-scene adjustment of the bits that uh, control the brightness on an individual scene. Am I saying that properly? I feel like I'm simplifying maybe too hard on that. Uh, The Samsung Premier Ultra Short Throw Laser Projector, the LP, excuse me, LSP9T for 130-inch model, LSP7T for the 120-inch version, 4K HDR10+, 2800 ANSI lumens. That's part of the lifestyle lineup alongside the Frame, the Serif, and the Terrace. Uh, by the way, the Terrace uh, was announced earlier this year. It's IP55 water and dust resistance. It is an HDTV designed for poolside, terrace, and deck viewing. That was announced in May, and uh, they kind of slid by us. The Frame we talked about when it came out at Cedia a couple of years ago. That's, well, essentially an HDTV in a frame with available art to make it look particularly fabulous. Um the big deal about this is it's probably the first HDR10 Plus projector that we know of, at least in the under $4 billion category. And it claims to support something they call filmmaker mode, which disables, quote, all post-processing and preserving the correct aspect ratios, colors, and frame rates. As in, no motion smoothing for J.J. Abrams or Christopher Nolan. Gosh darn it. Christopher Nolan's latest uh, movie is playing a half mile from me in a very small theater, and I'm really seriously contemplating going to see that and then i'm really seriously contemplating whether or not i want to sit in a small room with a bunch of strangers for two or three hours indeed just having that thought it has been a long time since samsung has offered a projector product and their very last one was very very good i have high hopes for the quote-unquote (laughs) premiere maybe taking a page from lg and other manufacturers but this is effectively a television in a short throw projector design it will have built-in acoustic beam virtual surround sound technology as well as providing that on-screen menu you maybe come to expect with built-in apps and things like that from a regular television compared to this I am looking forward to seeing more projectors adopt something that can do that dynamic tone mapping to better represent the content that could be authored to a variety of different brightness levels in a projector system. The other thing I saw pop up off topic, just slightly, or not off topic, but in a similar note, is that JVC has also announced a firmware update. And I don't remember if we talked about this or not, but... We'll we'll get to that in a minute. Excellent. It's an extended and intriguing conversation, but let's bang through, because we've got a whole bunch more news <laughs> from uh, EFA 2020. The uh, AIPQ engine, Gen 2, that's TCL's newest intelligent advancement in audiovisual optimization. Essentially, it's a new processor. They are... Uh, 
quote, enabling the full potential of TCL, QLED, and mini-LED technology. A lot of marketing speak in here. So I'm just going to read it straight to you. Quote, driven by machine learning algorithms matched with vast knowledge and human visual perception, TCL's AIPQ engine Gen 2 switches on the full potential of TCL's big screen TVs with real-time audiovisual optimization according to various entertainment content genres and ambient watching environments. And that's actually kind of a theme we're going to see or hear you're going to hear a bunch of and we're going to see a bunch of over the next year or two which is the idea that uh, they're analyzing the ambient room conditions and what's on the screen and trying to give you the best image quality uh, the AIPQ Engine Gen 2 automatically optimizes picture setting according to recognized content type and scenarios such as green landscapes, night scenes, animation, and motion as well as just setting separately for facial and background contents the audio engine well, apparently also has a, quote, unique way of detecting ambient environment through the TV mics. Volume will automatically adjust based on the surrounding environment and ambient sounds, just like your car, kids, when it turns the volume up when you get on the highway. We suspect this is going to show up in TVs at 2021 CES. They also uh, kind of reconfirmed the TS9030 Ray Danks soundbar which is another Dolby Atmos-ready soundbar. Utilizing precisely calibrated reflectors in combination with angled drivers, it offers an ultra-wide soundstage that is natural-sounding. And uh, the TCL TS8111, the all-in-one Dolby Atmos soundbar with dual-integrated subwoofers, that's going to be available Q4. Very cool. Yeah, they also announced a bunch of non-home theater products that we will not get into. But if you're looking for a watch optimized for the older folks in your family, a smartwatch... TCL's got you covered, apparently, at least in Europe. Yeah. One quick thing about TCL. They also recently updated yeah. their IPQ phone app Ooh. for DIY calibration. Early results with this using, it requires your phone effectively to be the camera that measures what's coming off the screen. It seems to vary in quality depending on, at least it used to, depending on which phone you were using in particular. With this latest update, it is specifically added support for the latest 6 and 8 series televisions that just came out. So if you have a compatible phone and this is available for iOS and Android, check it out because it might be a way to actually get some decent optimization for little effort and the cost of you simply just loading down an app on the phone. That's cool. Yeah. I have a friend who we did install one of these TVs for, uh, I believe it was last year's 6 Series, and I've been meaning just to get over there to compare the results of using that IPQ calibration app versus doing it manually or if it actually is delivering what it claims to be able to do for at least enough phone hardware out there. Because the big problem is the imager on most of these phones. If it's a known phone, like usually if you're going to use something like an iOS device, it's very mm -hmm. consistent across their product lines in terms of the performance and what it is. But when you get over to the Android side of things, there's a bajillion different cameras and color setups and things like that. So it's a little more restrictive, I find, trying to find a phone that is compatible on Android side of things compared to iOS. But hey, if you have one of those TVs, give it a check. And if you do not like the results as they come out, it's simple enough to simply hit the button and it puts it right back to the way it was. And if you are into calibrating, TCL's app makes it very similar to what I've experienced on Vizio TVs in terms of being able to use the app to control all the settings in the TV without having to pull up menus on the screen and dig through that on a rinse and repeat basis. So that makes it very nice as well. <laughs> it's a good tool. That all is around. very nice. I like it when tools make things easier rather than harder. New protector from Optoma. Fall 2019, they announced the Cinemax P1, IFA 2020, the Cinemax P2, 
short throw projector, 3,000 lumens, laser powered. Uh, well, it's a 3,000 lumen laser projector. Quote, 40 watt Dolby Digital soundbar built in. They're claiming improved contrast and color performance, HDR10 support. There's an enhanced gaming mode. And that part was a little interesting because one of the reports I saw on this suggested the gaming mode got things down to 67.1 milliseconds in terms of input lag, which would be high compared to just about every other, uh, well, at least every other company that's talking excitedly about gaming mode. Adaptive Picture Pro, uh, essentially, mentioned, we talked about this being a theme, right? Tweaks exactly. the image for bright and dark rooms along with the brightness of whatever is being projected. It's running on WebOS 5.0, which I'm not super thrilled about, but uh, if, you, if you're a new listener, you know I'm pretty much not thrilled about any television operating system other than Roku, because I think you should just use some kind of external box. They have a decent set of speakers in this projector. It's kind of interesting. I, I mean, for, for projector speakers, at least. Yes. I, I would be very curious to hear what it sounds like in real life. And if, you know, one of the things we've run into, it's like, it's 40 watts. Well, it's actually two 20-watt channels. Well, it's two 20-watt channels, but it's 20 watts at 11% distortion. I haven't I haven't seen the full specs on that. If you pair it with a proper screen, they're talking about 120-inch uh, display max. And apparently, uh, they did some really big changes to the color wheel they're using with the DLP uh unit in this they've got it down from eight segments to six segments there's no yellow section it just red green and blue they quote well i'm just gonna butcher this quote they've reduced the size of the wheel by 25 percent, and that makes the colors more vivid and accurate they're claiming and without uh, reducing any brightness i am very curious to see what this one uh, benchmarks like in the real world not going to be the least expensive projector they are claiming that it does exceed Rec. 709 color by another 20% or 120% of Rec. 709, which puts it, I don't know, uh, well, uh, probably about 90% of DCI-P3. So this would be good for doing your 4K streaming or your blue, ultra high-def Blu-ray movies. The one thing, though, I noticed about all of these so-called low-latency projectors, one thing the projector folks haven't added yet is any kind of support, as far as I know, for variable refresh rate or any right. kind of support like that. So if that is important to you, I'm not aware yet of a projector that's really taking advantage of things like that. They may be offering higher refresh rates, and they certainly are. But if that variable refresh rate support is something you've come to depend on for your tear-free gaming experience, that's something else to keep in mind about the difference between today's best projectors or even even relatively affordable ones versus what you can get out right. of a, even an affordable TV. I uh, will say one of the cool things about this is they, they also have the Smart Fit app that uh, you adjust the screen, take a photo, and it helps you fit it in there with the least amount of pain and trauma. They're talking about 30,000-hour lifetime if you are using eco mode with the laser light source. That's a big deal given the cost of bulbs we've seen from some places. I'm not seeing specs on that system, but I'd be very, very curious to see with the specs in the audio system. And it's also interesting because when you go to the website, the Optoma website, they talk about it being a uh, six-segment color wheel because it's RGB, RGB. But they have definitely eliminated the yellow off of that. So Colorful and pretty. And $3,300, which is actually price-wise, A, is not bad, and B, is incredibly inexpensive for a short-throw projector. If you do not currently have a short-throw projector, you will want to buy a short-throw projector-specific screen to get the most out of this, especially if you have 
any kind of overhead lighting in your viewing room or a lot of ambient lighting. The difference between a short throw projection optimized screen and your regular screen is kind of significant, I, I feel. Yeah, that and it can add say. to the cost dramatically compared to just a standard screen that would work yeah. with just about any other projector. But yeah, they call them ambient light reflecting screens for that reason, where it usually the projector will be placed under the screen and the screen has a direction yeah. that it should be placed as well to help capture that light coming from that projector and keep it as bright as possible while minimizing a lot of light from the room itself, making it way usable in more environments at a cost of having a more expensive screen. It's a pretty sophisticated screen. They've got a really nice, actually, uh, uh, example or a diagram, a picture of what one looks like. And essentially, imagine kind of uh, tiered steps going up the screen. They stick out at a 90 degree angle to the screen hanging, and that reflects the overhead light and then there's an angle that sort of faces down towards where the projection is, and that reflects the light from the projector to your eyes. They're not cheap because they're not that common yet, but they do make a pretty healthy difference. My appreciation for short throw designs in particular is where space is at a premium and you don't want something mounted on the ceiling per se, and the ability to have that projector just a few inches from the screen surface itself mm -hmm. is handy for those particular kinds of situations. But like you said, yeah, ambient light reflecting screen paired with that is the ideal. Nothing wrong with that. I have found deep, deep within the website, I have found specs. <laughs> doo -doo -doo -doo. I'm trying to get past their cookie notification. <laughs> it will drive you mad. But once you get past that, once you've been made safe, I do not, I am not finding any specs on sort of the amplifier audio quality. I'll oh, be no, it, it, it has speakers built in. <laughs> there, there's yes. something there. Several, several speakers. And the Dolby Tech's actually kind of interesting. Uh, I will let that go. One more EFA projector before we go. We talked about Optoma. We talked about Samsung. Let's talk about LG, the Cinebeam 4K projector, uh, HDR10 support, HLG support. This is not a short throw projector, but it is a 4K dual laser projector. They're talking about 40 to 300 inch screens, which seems um, dubious. <laughs> at 2700 lumens dubious is gracious 97% uh, DCI-P3 coverage there's no pricing no release dates but they are talking about adaptive picture pro which oddly enough adjusts the image based on the ambient lighting in the room and the scene that is playing on the projector interesting it has a couple of five watt speakers and webos 5.0 and i will the less we talk about webos 5.0 the happier i will be because as far as i'm concerned outside of roku most operating systems running on televisions or projectors in this case uh are probably a hot mess i will say i think lg is probably doing a better job with these but that's based on uh hope and projection rather than any hands-on work <laughs> i'm happy to simply see more projectors approaching full dcip3 coverage for that color palette yeah. with your with your That's premium sources yeah philips will now let you turn any tv into an ambalite tv uh, philips lighting which is now known as signify has the philips hue play it's an led light strip that works uh as a hue smart bulb 
I have it sized for 55, 65, and 75 inch TVs. It covers the left and right side of the TV in the top and emits light at a 45 degree angle. Uh, TechWriter was writing about this. They noted that, quote, you can calibrate it alongside any other Hue product in your home, though you will need the Hue Bridge and Philips Hue Sync Box to get it working. If you are in the Philips Hue environment, and uh, living the Philips Hue lifestyle, you have another uh, gadget to improve the quality of your televised experience. I don't know. I, I like bias lighting behind TVs. I was thinking about that a lot in our current viewing environment because it's so dark down here. Yeah. And I've I've thought to myself, it would be nice to have bias lighting on this television. Then I remember that I'm going to be installing the projector in here shortly, and I just walk away from getting the LED lights out and experimenting. <laughs> I would just highlight to all of the television manufacturers out there that it would not be hard to simply have a USB port for an RGB strip built into the TV where you could add your own RGB strip and then have the content on the screen match that kind of color for that effect. Or, or you know, make it a simple bias light with something very similar to D65, but something adjustable. That I have a feeling this setup for Philips Hue will be pricey at best. I cut Robert off earlier. He was starting to get excited about JVC's updates uh, for their projectors. Uh, we've been talking about a lot about 4K projectors on this show because there's so many announcements at IFA. Uh, Robert and I have been talking a bunch about 4K projectors because I am thinking about 4K projectors in my home. And one of the things we got talking about was how to get Dolby Vision display on a projector. And I'll just say pound. This is an HD Fury thing. There's not a, a lot of new hardware uh, from in terms of 4K from Epson and JVC right now, which is great as far as I'm concerned because I suspect it means we might next year see things like Dolby Vision or, or better HDR10 or better DCI-P3 color support or brighter projectors out there uh, in the next wave of projectors, you know, along with more uh, iris magic like the stuff that JVC does. I dream. JVC did announce uh, a firmware update to their DLZ NX579 and their DLA RS1000, 2000, and 3000 projectors, basically all their consumer 4K and 8K projectors. Um, so a year ago, right, they added uh, dynamic tone mapping, frame adapt HDR. This year they're adding a theater optimizer, which also updates, adds some updates to frame adapt hdr quote theater optimizer allows the integrator or user to input the screen size and gain information which varies depending on the theater design and then calculates installation information such as lens zoom position and lamp condition and settings and then automatically adjusts the projector for wait for it optimum tone mapping and brightness by adding this function to frame adapt hdr jvc allows each user to enjoy hdr 10 content matched to the viewing environment without complicated manual adjustments um so essentially 4k hdr 10 games blu-ray they are automatically adjusted for optimized brightness, color, and detail on a frame-by-frame -frame or scene-by-scene -scene basis. This is good. Also, part of this show's running theme of things you are seeing from television and projector manufacturers. I simply hope these updates are easy to install. <laughs> hopefully, well, hopefully it can be done over a network in most cases, and you're not forced to uh, resort to other crazy means of <laughs> making that happen. <laughs> 
not that Robert's bitter about USB mm. or uh, RS-232 updates uh, to various devices. Um, <laughs> this is going to be out in November. The update's going to come in November. Uh, they say 18-bit uh, level gamma processing is maintained while the feature is in use, i.e. keeping your blacks black in your darker scenes and uh, your higher peak whites in brighter scenes, higher and peakier, and, of course, optimizing the color. They also uh, said they added some updates that users have asked for, uh, improved menu operations, frame depth HDR, brightness adjustment uh, now has five steps up from three steps, and you can choose the picture mode according to the input signals, which is kind of slick, i.e. if you have something different from your gaming device versus your you know, Blu-ray player, for example, uh, is my understanding of how that works. So props to JVC because they have continually offered some fairly serious firmware updates to their projectors, and I am all in favor of that. That's sweet. The theater optimizer tech in particular, if you ever set up any recent JVC projector I've ever looked at, if you go through the manual, it actually has tables for different projector screens that you can, mm-hmm. with presets that are optimized for those particular brands of screens. And being able to oh, nice. being able to make that a little more automated for somebody doing it themselves is, is a nice thing, I think. However, just keep in mind that if you do want to just do that manually, those settings are there as well. And of course, <laughs> calibration is always available. <laughs> so many settings. Yes. Did not expect this. There's uh, been a complete update to the Unify, the Unify 2.0 from ELAC. Uh, I love the original Unify speakers. They were really kind of a mind-blowing experience for me because they delivered unbelievable performance at a given price. Uh, They've had a complete redesign. Andrew Jones has got in there and changed everything up. The UB52-BK, new drivers, crossovers, and cabinet. They move the base ports to the front, a la the debut 2.0, which means it should be much friendlier to being located close to a rear wall. So if you're in an apartment or a small room, that's kind of a big deal. Quote, true 6-ohm nominal impedance via a new crossover. And if that's legit, that means they should be easier to drive across all frequencies, which means they'll be friendlier to your less powerful amplifiers. They did a new 5.25-inch aluminum woofer design. It's a single-piece cone now. And uh, that's supposed to be stiffer. They also apparently put in a larger voice coil and a larger magnet, which means it's going to slam. And I say that affectionately in the cool guy automotive racing sense, not to try to dismiss it. But essentially, the faster you can accelerate and decelerate a driver, the better response it's going to be. As in before, the tweeter emitter in its own box. They have a big old cross brace helping to stabilize the woofer section of the box. Um, So I'm kind of excited about that. They also did a new center channel. for home theaters and a new floor stander. Uh, the floor stander is similar to the U52, but it has three of the five and a quarter inch aluminum woofers on that. And uh, I am very curious to hear this one. They did a one inch soft dome tweeter and a new four inch mid range. Those are concentric uh, with the idea that it's going to give you particularly excellent uh, audio experience across all the frequencies. And I will let you know what it sounds like as soon as I get to hear one, which is not going to happen, of course, at Rocky Mountain Audio Fest or any other audio events this fall, because, of course, they are all canceled. So I will let you know if and when I get a chance to hear one, what they sound like. So much good audio. As much as I love Bowers and Wilkins for their speaker designs, Elac's value for what they put out is is unbelievable. And it's worth your time to consider it as well. I, I agree. There will always be a sweet spot in my heart, though, for B&W. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys, I, I like that sound. I really do. 
they uh, they do some good work. Um, we uh, we missed these announcements earlier this year. Uh, my apologies on that. Uh, 2020 AVRs from Denon, the 2700H, 3700H, 4700H, 6700H, and AVR S960H. Uh, the biggest one for me is the 3700H because I am putting in four overhead Atmos, or I should say uh, Atmos height channels, which meant I had to upgrade my AVR. Um, 3700H is the new entry level for four-speaker Atmos systems that replaces the 3600H. As you will find with many things in electronics, home theater, food, clothing, and various other areas like bicycles, availability is all over the map. Uh, 3600 which is a pretty phenomenal AVR. May or may not still be available. 3700Hs were sold out like everywhere on the planet. I managed to find a refurbished slash open box version from an AV dealer, a legit Denon dealer in Denver. That's how I was able to secure one. Cool. Um, biggest thing between the 3700H and the 3600H is a dual program Odyssey room tuning. So you can actually AB two different Odyssey or uh, Odyssey room tunes uh, for oh, yourself. I could have used that about a year ago with a client. <laughs> the, we ran a tune on a Dolby Atmos setup, and I right. swear we ran it the first time, and it just came out perfect. But we're just sitting there going, you know, maybe we should run it again just to make sure. Ran it again, and it sounded okay, but I would have loved to have been able to have one extra preset so I could go back or back and forth and A-B that, right. like you just said. That's excellent. Well, now you can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they also added uh, variable refresh rate, uh, 120 hertz at 4K, a gaming mode, and, of course, 8K support, which I don't think I'll need for the next decade, but you never know. Sounds like HDMI um, 2.1 right there. Yeah. More units should be shipping later in September. Let us know what you see if you go to shop for one. Uh, 4700H and 6700H are more high-end upgrades. Uh, if you want to nerd out, there are measurements uh, for the, the uh, Denon 3700H and several others on audiosciencereview.com. They were actually pretty impressed. The numbers are a little bit better for the 3600H for the versus the 3700H, but they are all extremely good for AVRs. Uh, there's also a new entry-level-ish uh, $650 AVR, the AVR S968. It's another 2020 model from Denon. Uh, the $500 AVR S758 is still the wire cutter's pick. It has not had a 2020 replacement as of yet. That is a 7.2 AVR with all the 4K trimmings and Odyssey. Uh, do yourself a favor. Do us a favor. Do our friend Chris a favor. And if you decide to buy an AVR 750H, use the link at the wire cutter so that they uh, get a little taste of that. And that helps the wire cutter continue to do their most excellent research. By the way, another announcement earlier this year, uh, a long list of Denon AVRs now certified Rune endpoints which is really, really slick if you're into the high-end audio experience and you would like to have the convenience of being able to run Rune to your AVR. I was stoked about that. Excellent. <laughs> I was looking for the 20th anniversary Blu-ray edition of The Fugitive because uh, I was in a mood. Uh, my wife and I were having uh, Tommy Lee Jones humor, and I was like, I, I really miss The Fugitive. And uh, It seems like it's older than 20 years for some reason. I don't it know. It does. Uh, well, I think it was <laughs> it was 20 years a couple years ago. Okay. Uh, maybe several years ago. In any case, apparently the, the, the anniversary edition was uh, released on a BD-50 Blu-ray instead of a BD-25 Blu-ray, i.e. it had uh, more space to store more bits, and they put more bits in the encoding. There are a lot of reviewers said it made a huge difference. Uh, that said, there are many people who think it is the same transfer as was used for the BD25 version. In any case, 
as I'm looking for this on Amazon, it turns out you can also buy a new copy of The Fugitive on VHS, which is even weirder, I thought, wow. than the return of cassette tapes. Um, you know, because... I don't know. And then part of me was like, what about 8-track and Laserdisc? And then I realized there's just a lot more VHS boxes uh, in various houses and hotel rooms around the world than there are cassette decks or, uh, well, I guess 8-tracks or Laserdisc, certainly, maybe not cassette decks. Uh, Lady Gaga, by the way, has released on cassette recently. And uh, I kid you not, cassette sales were up 103% in Britain, uh, 65,000 in the first half of 2020, which is nothing compared to what cassette singles looked like back in the day but i thought it was kind of hysterical that uh that you can still buy new vhs tapes crazy <laughs> it, i believe i sold my last vhs deck that i owned about two three four years ago and i i do not miss it i, I do however have one last vhs tape with no way to play it now but yeah whatever i just <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I'm done with that low resolution. What I miss, though, one thing that I think a lot of people could use, because there are a lot of those collections out there that people right. want to still enjoy. There is a distinct lack of the universal player that I, Magnavox used to make one that did both DVD and CD, as well as a VHS deck all in one unit with HDMI output. And you didn't have to. It, it made it very simple then to add that into any modern home theater without a lot of hassle and that product is all but vanished now and i'm finding it very difficult to find a decent vhs deck worth mentioning that actually has built-in upscaling and hdmi output they are unicorns out there baby or whatever the I'm, rare and exciting thing is <laughs> i'm looking at the 3700 h and i'm trying to figure out if it actually has a uh, composite video input oh um, probably does probably does I still no. want to avoid oh, it. Composite. <laughs> I don't miss that. Why well, That's why I appreciated I, a, a single player with both DVD and VHS yeah. with that HDMI output. I don't think you cared about the DVD. I think you mostly cared about the HDMI outputs. It was, yeah. <laughs> it made it easy to integrate. And I, I miss having that yeah. option. I know it's not a popular thing anymore. VHS is practically gone, but... God, I, every now and then I'll, I'll visit somebody and they've got a wall of VHS tapes that they refuse right. to get rid of. And I'm just like, well, we, we stayed at a KOA where you could rent a, a VHS deck and then they had a big old collection of VHS uh, tapes. Actually, I think two or three we, we saw like that last year when we were full time RVing. Um, I was amazed. Uh, a friend of mine had a song that had been recorded as a demo and only available on cassette. And it took us a while. I actually managed to find, because I also had some vintage cassettes that are never going to be released in any other formats. And uh, it was fun trying to track down a relatively modern, decent-sounding cassette deck to you. I basically found a, a professional cassette deck with, you know, maybe 100 hours of use on it so I could use to uh, transfer some of these cassettes we had that we have no other we have no way of, of getting that audio anywhere else. Um, not the most impressive noise floor cassettes, but uh, better to transfer that before the cassette disintegrates than lose that music forever. I hear you. 
If you need the CUDA cores, NVIDIA has announced the, uh, well, they've released, uh, well, it is, it is announced, it is about to release uh, uh, the Ampere, the RTX 3090, 3080, and 3070 GPUs. They're talking about uh, 8K gaming at 60 frames per second on the 3090. That is a beast of a card in excess of 10,000 CUDA cores, $1,499, 350 watts on the power requirements. I should say 10,496 CUDA cores uh, with a boost clock up to 1.7 gigahertz. Oof. That's crazy. That's twice the number of cores that's uh, that are on an NVIDIA Titan GPU. The middle ground card is the 3080. That's uh, 8,704 CUDA cores. That's going to sell for $700. And uh, the 3070 is $500 with 5,888 CUDA cores and a somewhat more reasonable 220-watt power supply requirement and $499 price. So exciting. I mean, literally. Yeah. And some early benchmarks are out, and NVIDIA themselves even showed Doom Eternal running at 4K at max quality on a 2080 <laughs> Ti versus a 3080. Just going by the numbers flashing up on the screen, I'd say anywhere from a 20 right. to a 50% performance improvement running at that high resolution. And for me personally, it's not so much a 4K gaming, but having a graphics card that can truly drive 120 hertz or faster at 1440, that's mm -hmm. what I'm looking for. I want to enjoy more games at a reasonable resolution that can sustain a high refresh rate. That is something I currently do not have. And I look forward to the wide availability of these cards. <laughs> I think honestly, it'll probably be next year before I actually get one just to let everything settle down, let the early adopters go at it. But this is on my short list of the thing I am missing from my new computer build that I really, really want. Right. They pretty much phased out the 2000 series cards over the last few weeks of this summer. They basically vaporized from the channel. So it was pretty obvious these were coming. Uh, one of the rumors we're hearing, uh, if you're thinking about buying one of these, uh, the rumor is that they are going to be on very short supply through the end of this year. So if you see one for sale and you're serious about it, you probably want to buy it sooner rather than later because it seems like they're not having huge yields or they're not making huge numbers of these so something to be aware of the other thing that jumped out shopping. at me was for the 3070 and their mm -hmm. statement that effectively at 500 dollars, that is matching the price of a 2080 ti or exceeding yeah. it in certain benchmarks this is one of those i think once in a long time where you're <laughs> actually getting a solid boost of performance yeah. And even NVIDIA talked about this, where it's like, we, we can't be just simply doubling performance every year, otherwise we'll kill ourselves. And it's like, we got, we got to take reasonable steps, but this seems like above and beyond uh, just a standard jump in performance. And I'm I'm excited. And I'm I, I, honestly, <laughs> I, be excited. I can't wait to see what AMD is going to throw out as well and for what price points and performance. So, and this I'm also brings that too. HDMI 2.1 to graphics cards for the first time. That oh, is good. a big deal. Now that HDMI port can compete a little more reasonably with something like DisplayPort 1.4 and be able to provide another option for folks out there trying to drive a either a multi-monitor setup or a large format display or a television that doesn't have a DisplayPort port, which I wish they all had, but whatever. <laughs> that is, I live in a fantasy world. <laughs> It's a nice fantasy. Yeah, world. I, you know, to to I think Nvidia had to release a fairly serious performance bump on these because the thing about the the RTX cards, the 2000 series, was that they weren't a huge leap over the previous generation of cards for regular video games in a lot of cases. Feel free to email and argue about that. Ask at AVXL.com. 
Mike emailed ask at avxl.com. At the end of the last episode, Robert mentioned that LG wasn't bringing variable refresh rate to the C9. As a C9 owner, I was disappointed, but looking online, I only see mention of no AMD FreeSync support. I know the C9 supports NVIDIA G-Sync, and the HDMI 2.1 standard includes its own version of variable refresh rate, not the Visa FreeSync standard. Does this mean that the TV doesn't fully support the HDMI standard? Would variable refresh rate not work with the upcoming PS5? Thanks, Mike. He is exactly right. And as for his questions, yes, uh, even my own C9, it works with NVIDIA G-Sync. No problem. It's the AMD FreeSync support I wasn't clear about. And coming up for the next-gen consoles, if you're looking at PS5 or whatever the new Xbox will be called, they apparently are only supporting, because they're AMD-based graphics and CPUs, they're only supporting FreeSync, as far as I know. Now, I could be wrong about this, and please correct me, but... Yeah, so I'm not sure what that really will mean for people who currently own TVs that do not support FreeSync. Hopefully you have more than one option, but yeah, 100% true. Uh, there is a variable refresh rate system in my C9 and mics, and it is based upon the NVIDIA G-Sync standard. There you have it. Phil's got capacitor problems. He emailed askadavxl.com. I purchased a half dozen Crest audio touring amplifiers. These VS450 and VS900 amps have great power output and sound wonderful. There's only one problem, and it appears to be a design flaw. These amps have four big AC filtering power supply capacitors. They're rated for 70 volts, which is apparently what the supply rails provide. There is no headroom for overvoltage. The amps have a reputation for working great for several years and then failing, sometimes catastrophically, with the caps leaking and destroying the circuit boards. I replaced the capacitors in each amp for approximately $100, but they need to be replaced again. The circuit board layout dictates a particular size with no wiggle room, and I haven't found anyone who can provide this value of cap in this side with a larger working voltage. I eventually replaced four of the crests with Behringer iNuke amps. While the Behringers sound nice, I would prefer to use the crests. I now have the Crest amps sitting in my basement. I hate to get rid of them since they should be repairable, but I realize it might be cost prohibitive even if I could find the appropriate caps. What should I do? These things are substantial, heavy, and take a lot of amperage to drive them, but when they're working, they sound awesome. I'd appreciate any input you have on the best course of action. Thanks, and keep up the good work, Phil. If you're thinking Crest, um, Crest amps were available, they, well, they debuted in the late 70s, 79 or 80 around then, and they were notable because they delivered more wattage in about half the rack space. So they would deliver 475 watts in two rack spaces instead of, say, uh, 400 watts in four rack spaces, which was typical back then. Uh, they branched that into mixing consoles in the 80s, and in 1998, they were sold PV. And you're absolutely right, Phil. Uh, they have an excellent reputation. People love the way they sound, and they eat caps. Some shops would literally, uh, and when I say shops, I mean companies that rent amplifiers for touring or rent amplifiers for events. Um, they would apparently replace them you know, annually or every couple of years, so they were less likely to blow during an event. This is where we get into the whole used or vintage amp thing, right? Some people love older amps for the classic sound, some because they're legendary and still sound good by modern standards. You know, I loved them because you could buy, you know, older amps. I could buy them used and get way much. I, you know, I could buy a crappy amp new or a really good amp used. And that kind of, 
you know, that was, you know, certainly in my 20s and 30s, that was a big deal. I could get more performance for less money by buying used. And some of those amps were like, you know, 20 years old when I bought them. The problem is, is a lot of 20 or 30 year old amps uh, might need some work. You could argue about whether or not this is legit, but certain brands of amps are noted for, for some of their components kind of, you know, starting to degrade. And I'm not like, you're going to upgrade the capacitor to this and it's going to make it sound like an epiphanal light. It, uh... Oh, but if you have blown caps on a device and then yeah. it turns out the particular size of those caps make it difficult to find replacements. There was little room, little wiggle room, as mentioned. <laughs> That's yeah. the problem. And it's a shame that somebody, I don't know, where's the great database of like quality caps at various sizes? Right. And uh, it sounds like he's done and tried everything to find the parts he needs, and he can't And that's seem the to... problem. I own a couple of NAD 2100s, and ironically, I bought those around the time for those BMWs I have. Uh, and NAD 2100s, it's, it's this legendary amp, right? The performance was amazing for the money. I bought them used, and a lot of people have had various components kind of explode on them. Mine uh, have held up fairly well without any... Without any uh, uh, work done to them and it's hard right because i'm all about reduce reuse recycle problem is is only you can decide at what point uh it's still worth repairing these amps right there are cottage industries built around certain incredibly popular amps mcintosh anything mcintosh there's always a market for it even the crappy stuff and there's like two crappy Bro. things um <laughs> adcom gfa 585s are legendary dynaco stereo 70s nad 3020s uh amps from mark levinson audio research uh and pretty much any vintage 70s receiver from a Japanese company like Morant Sensui or Techniques. At some point those became super popular with the hipsters. They sell for ridiculous amounts. If you see like a, a Morant or a Sensui or a Techniques kind of 70s, early 80-ish looking amplifier, the big one, the big volume control and a silver face at a garage sale, buy it. You'll be able to resell it on, on Craigslist or eBay for a stupid amount of money. The problem is, is at some point if you can buy a, a similarly powered amp that's just as clean sounding, you have to start wondering when you should quit repairing these things. I would call pvcommercialaudio.com, see if they do repairs or if they can recommend a repair center near you. And if they can't, or if you can't get the parts, you might want to search around for somebody local that's talented with a soldering iron to see if they can make some capacitors work inside the enclosure in a non-standard way i.e you know creative hacking if you're near la or some other big city it's probably easier to find a shop like this um, look for shops that work on pro audio gear or high-end stereo gear you know like there's a couple here in st louis there's a bunch of them in, in la because of course there's just so much of the media industry in la track one down and see what they think if the price is too much at the very least try selling them on craigslist or ebay uh, you would be shocked to find what folks will pay for something they want even if it weighs 80 pounds, because if this is somebody's, you know, end all and be all, uh, they might pay you a fair amount of money and pay for the shipping just to get those amps in their hands. But, you know, first I'd look around and see if there's any local shops or if PV can help you find somebody to repair these amps. Because if you can find somebody who can figure out a way to get capacitors in there that won't blow out constantly and still sound good, you'll be a happy camper. You just reminded me that there is a local TV repair shop here in my town that takes care of not just TVs, but all kinds of electronics. And they are so backlogged with work. <laughs> it is ridiculous. But I've never seen anyone complain about their repair quality. If anything, yeah. it just takes time because of how busy they are. But that would be a source I would go to to at least get some feedback on something like that as well as a local source, if you're fortunate enough to yeah. have a shop like that nearby. A good tech is an amazing thing. 
we mentioned it before, COVID's made shopping for some items really hard. Uh, AV receivers, I mentioned earlier, bicycles or something that seems to be out of supply everywhere. Computer power um, supplies. Computer power supplies, uh, various and sundry devices. Uh, one of you uh, reached out to me recently. You were looking for a JVC projector. You couldn't find a local dealer because all the ones that listed on the JVC website were gone. And it was odd. I was like, that's ridiculous. And then I looked up in St. Louis and all the ones in St. Louis are gone. The JVC website makes it sound like online sales are not okay. I reached out to JVC and the response was, quote, JVC has authorized a very limited number of online retailers to sell its projectors. They are Best Buy, Crutchfield, and ABT Electronics. In addition, JVC sells them via their own Amazon online store. Any other online sellers are not authorized JVC dealers, unquote. Uh, and that's kind of a big deal. For certain products, they sell them everywhere. They're pretty loose with the channels, and it doesn't really matter. Uh, for other companies, if you see a particularly good price, be careful. One of the most hysterical things was was I saw something uh, for sale on Amazon, and somebody had given, or not Amazon, on eBay, and somebody had given the product a negative review because they had already bought it and one of the speakers was dead and they returned it and then the company selling it relisted the exact same thing again he's like i know because of the crack in the side of the case and part of me is like if it was cracked why did you buy it and i'm like well because the price was so low but nah. you know when you get into th incredibly complicated things like projectors you probably want to be super careful about buying it from somebody that's not part of the official channel like it has to be so cheap to warrant that risk because a lot of stuff that's out there there's a whole sort of subcategory of online vendors there's a lot of fantastic online vendors don't get me wrong but there seems to be this sort of third tier of online vendor that kind of specialize in selling broken crap like i don't know if they got it from amazon returns or if it's returns to a local dealer or whatever it is but you occasionally hear these hell stories about about certain vendors online so you know if you're buying something expensive and in my world a six thousand dollar projector is expensive i think you probably want to make sure that you buy it from a legitimate vendor and you get a legitimate warranty because the other thing you run into is occasionally stuff is what they call gray market and gray market might be well this projector or this i'm thinking of a particular amplifier manufacturer high-end amplifier manufacturer and there are resellers that are undercutting what is supposed to be the minimum price and they're buying their amplifiers overseas and importing them into the u.s which is great except that they they don't qualify for a warranty in the case of jvc in particular i also question do they ever say rescind the serial numbers of certain products because generally if you need an update for your JVC projector you have to log into the website and enter that serial right. number I doubt they are just randomly cutting yeah. off support for things they have actually built but I that also plays back into is it an authorized sale to begin with or yeah. and does that include even if it's not does that also include the support for downloads and things like that I would not want to be questioning that period <laughs> Best Buy, Crutchfield, ABT, and JVC stores on Amazon are all legit sources. But, you know, in, in, in some cases, this doesn't matter that much. But, you know, I mentioned earlier, right, I, there were no 3700H, Denon 3700H AVRs for sale in the United States new at least none that I could find. However, I found a legitimate channel that had, you know, some open boxes that I was able to purchase. And uh, that was good for me because I didn't want to wait until October or, or late in September for, for an AVR. Just, you know, pay attention when you're buying stuff. You know, and, and look, I, I literally just bought a whole bunch of speakers off of eBay because uh, there was no dealer for the speakers anywhere near me. And I like getting, you know, two for the price of one because I'm cheap. Uh, especially when you're, you know, installing a whole bunch of Atmos uh, height speakers. Uh, there's a lot of speakers. 
caveat emptor let the buyer beware and uh you know the speakers in my case were cheap enough that if one of them was dead it wasn't going to break me financially uh just uh pay attention to what you're buying and where you're buying it from just saying having that company support is critical yes yes it is especially when you want the new and shiny Oh, my goodness. With that, ladies and gentlemen, if you're enjoying the show, do us a favor. Go over to patreon.com slash AVXL and become a patron. We had some great hangouts a couple weeks ago with our uh, $10 and $20 contributors. We'll have another one of those this month. We're going to try to get some stuff posted up on the on the Patreon website for your amusement and enjoyment. And uh, seriously, thank you to each and every one of you who supports us on AVXL. And by the way, some people were like, why didn't you charge us last month? And I'm like, well, we've, we've had a couple months where we charged you uh, by accident where there weren't four episodes. You know, I'm confident if we do four episodes this month, we'll charge you, I promise. So go over to patreon.com slash AVXL and uh, do us a favor and become a part of the crew that supports the show and helps, uh, Helps Robert and I make a little money for the time we put into this. We appreciate that. Indeed. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, this is AVXL. The website is AVXL.com. If you're new to this show, and and hey, if you are, welcome. Go over to AVXL.com for all the links to subscribe or just search for AVXL in your favorite podcatcher. And with that, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. <laughs>